Amen. All right. So, yeah, Ephesians chapter 4. And, and what we're seeing as we get into Ephesians here this morning is that we're, we're turning a bit of a, a corner now in our study through Ephesians because the book of Ephesians is divided up very neatly into two main sections, all right? You've got chapters 1 and 3 that are detailing the doctrine, right? And then chapters 4 to 6 that, that go through the practical stuff. And that's kind of how Paul oftentimes writes his letters as he looks to kind of lay out for us this groundwork and framework. And so we've been seeing our riches in Christ. But now in chapter 4, as we sort of turn the corner, we're going to be looking at our, our responsibility in Christ. And I think that progression is such an important one because we're often very quick to just kind of tell people what to do. Here's how you got to live for the Lord. Do this, do that, don't do this. And we lay out all these action steps and we fail to just let them see kind of what's already been done for you. In other words, that our motivation for living for the Lord is not about, you know, um, what we're going to get in return. It's about what's already been done for us in and through the Lord. And so Paul wants to move from doctrine into duty. And it's one that we need to continue to maintain, even just in our own lives and, and in our own relationships and in discipleship that's taking place, is that we're letting people know, we want you to see what's been done for you. Before, we're trying to move you on into all these, you know, great works of action and things like that. Because our motivation in Christian living and living for Christ is always, that motivation is always just a heart of gratitude for what we have in Christ, what he's done for us. That's exactly what Paul is doing for us in these first three chapters as he's laid out so wonderfully this, this framework and groundwork of these riches in Christ, we have in just a, a quick kind of summary and just looking at some of the highlights in chapters 1 to 3, we've seen that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That just, that just boggles my mind. I can barely even fathom what that means, but I know it's good, right? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then we've seen that we've been chosen, adopted, accepted. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. He laid his life down for us that we could have life, right? And then we saw that we were made alive when we were even dead in our trespasses and sins. We've been given new life. We're saved by grace. And so these are things. And then in chapter three, Paul went on just to talk about, you know, oh, chapter two, we, we saw how we were, um, again, brought together as one new body. And Paul expands on that in chapter three, this mystery that has now been unfolded where the Lord's bringing all people together as one man, the church, the body of Christ together in him. So all these valuable truths here are, are laid out for us to see where we sit in Christ, the riches we have in him. See, too often Christians, they try to get walking or, or even running ahead before they really know what this life is all about in Christ and what he's done for us, right? I mean, when, you know, when you have a new baby, you're not at two months going, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you walking already, right? We're just happy at two months when they're sitting on the couch without doing the slow lean, right? And also like the, the head bob right in the couch, right? Head plant. That's what, what we see. And, and, and too often we're quick to do these things without just seeing growth and maturity come through right teaching and instruction and through just that groundwork of what God has already done for us. And so what happens when we begin to think that way, and people mean well, when they go, all right, 
I just got saved. Now I'm going to get up. I'm going to do all this stuff. And we think sometimes when we start doing all this stuff, God has to bless us now. God's got God's to return the favor now, right? And what happens in that is that we end up making God the responder while we're the initiator. We're initiating all this stuff thinking God now has to respond to us. My friends, can I just say, God is always the initiator. God is always the one that is acting good and rightly and justly. And he's the one that, you know, just every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He's the one that is initiating, and we're simply responding. So chapters 1 and 3, Paul is showing us what God has done. So now we're simply to be living this life in response to what he's done. We live lives for him not to be blessed, but because we are blessed. So... Here's what we're going to be seeing, that now that we've seen where we sit, we begin to get a little bit motivation now for our walk. So Paul says here in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So again now, this word therefore that you see, when you see that in scripture, you're, you're looking to ask, what is it there for? What, it's, a, it's a transitional word. It, it ties in what we've just been looking at and then moving us into the next bit of context that we're seeing. So usually you look at the last few verses or last chapter. Paul's going, no, I don't want you just to look at the last few verses, last chapter. I want you to look at the whole of the letter so far, chapters 1 to 3 that we've gone through and begin to see what this is saying to us. And remember all that God has accomplished for you that you can have the proper desire now to live for him. See, many, again, like we've been saying, like to just go on their own and try to live their life without instruction or teaching. But that always leads to frustration if you don't understand why you do what you do. And there's a lot of people that think, okay, I'm a Christian now. I got to just live a good life. I got to do all these things because that's what's required of me. And they fail to realize, no, wait a second. Understand what has already been done for you and let that motivate you and move you. Otherwise, you just get burnt out. You get frustrated. When people better understand Christian doctrine, they will more happily live out Christian duty. Warren Wiersbe said this, when people say, don't talk to me about doctrine, just let me live my Christian life, they're revealing their ignorance of the way the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. It makes no difference what you believe, just as long as you live right is a similar confession of ignorance. It does, not, it does make a difference what you believe because what you believe determines how you behave. So Paul, again, reminds his readers that he is the prisoner of the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord. See, Paul could have reacted negatively. He could have gotten upset. Lord, what's going on? I've been faithful to serve you. I've been doing right, and yet here I am in jail. You'd think that all that Paul has been doing would grant him a, you know, get out of jail free card, right? And this isn't the, the state for Paul right now. But again, Paul's got a good grasp of biblical doctrine. So it didn't so much matter his position presently because he knew what his position eternally was. He understood that his life is being lived for the Lord. It's in Christ. No matter what he might experience in this world, this is not the end. And he knows that anything that could go on in this world, it'll all be worth it for what God has already stored up for Paul and for us. That's why he can sit and say, I'm not just a, a prisoner of Rome says, what, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's not getting upset going, oh, this is all the, the government's fault. This is all. No, he says, I'm just serving the Lord. And, and if the Lord wants to use me in this way, if the Lord wants to lead me in this direction, then so be it. I'm living my life for the Lord. And I'm, I'm content to be 
even in prison because I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's my home. And these things are temporal, and, and I don't have to worry about these things. This is Paul's attitude here. And God's going to work out his plans all through it. I like what Theodore, uh, Theodoret said. He said, what the world counted ignominy or shame, Paul counted the highest honor, and he glories in his bonds for Christ more than a king in his diadem. Man, that's pretty, pretty good. So Paul's been worthy of living his life now. He's just been, you know, sold out for Jesus. He's been living full on. Now, granted, it didn't maybe come with the results that he was hoping for personally, but he knows he's been living out what the Lord has laid out for him. And whatever the outcome, Paul again knows it's, it's just all going to be worth it. And so he encourages others to do the same. Walk worthy. Live out this, this calling in your life. Now, Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Now, that word beseech, great word, right? I mean, if you use it, people are going to look at you like you're weird. What's going on? Why are you using that word beseech? That seems so odd. It's a word we don't use often today, but it's the Greek word perikaleo. And it's the same form of the word that Jesus used when addressing the Holy Spirit, the comforter, when he said the parakletos. That word paris, to, to come alongside this word beseech, means to call to one side, to urge, to call to one's aid. We can oftentimes look at that word beseech as such a strong kind of commanding word, beseech. But Paul is not speaking authoritatively. He's speaking compassionately. Almost like saying, come alongside me. Join me in walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Having a couple cats now at home, and I still pray for me. Don't know how this happened, but we've got a couple cats at home now. And I understand this word beseech because when they're outside and I need to get them inside, I don't stand at the door commanding them, get in here now, cats. Hurry up. Let's go. No, I'm, I'm beseeching. Come on, kitty. Come on, guys. Let's go. I got some goodies for you. Come alongside me. I'm going to bless you. That's the idea. I'm beseeching them to come in, right? This is the idea. Yeah, pray for me. I'm like, how did this happen? How did that happen? But so Paul is not getting angry or frustrated with his readers. Rather, he's beseeching them, urging and pleading with them to walk worthy. Worthy? Worthy of what? Worthy of the blessings that have been shown to us, chapters 1 to 3, that we've already kind of addressed. Because we saw there that God has made us saints. And so now Paul is urging us to live like it. We need to practice what we preach, living what we're believing. And it's our walk that shows that to be true. What you believe is going to come out in how you live. Take, for instance, if I were to sign up for a membership at a gym. Keyword there, if. So just don't, you know, hold me to this, right? If I were to sign up for a membership at a gym, and, and by signing up, I get a free trial with a, a, a month, you know, free personal trainer. One-on-one -on -one trainer. They're like, that's awesome, right? So I come in for my appointment. I say, hey, I'm here to 
workout. I got a trainer uh, appointment, and the lady at the desk yells over, hey, Frank, your 10 o'clock is here. And I look over, and I see a guy, his back to me. He looks like he's bent over doing some curls. I'm like, all right, let's go. And the guy gets up and walks towards me, and I see a five foot two man, 300 pounds, with a two-liter Coke in one hand and a smoky hot dog in the other hand that I thought was the curls. No, he's just feeding himself at 10 a.m. with a smoky hot dog. I'm looking at this guy going, this is not matching up here. This guy's not walking worthy of his calling. Would you agree? Are you with me on this? I'm going, that's why it's free. I'm like, man, I signed up to the wrong gym. But you see, you're looking at this guy going, this guy's not practicing when he preaches. He's not living up to what he ultimately believes or what he's trying to show forth. And the witness is all out here. So Paul is pleading with the Ephesians to watch their walk. Is it matching up? Is it fitting with that? of a child of God. So he urges them to walk how? To walk worthy. Now that's an interesting word right there, worthy. The word worthy is the Greek word axios, and it means to balance the scales. So the adjective form of this means having the weight of, weighing as much as another thing. So Paul is exhorting the Ephesians saints to see to it that their Christian experience, the Christian life they live, should weigh as much as the profession of Christianity which they're making. Paul uses that same word, worthy, when he says in Romans 8, 18, that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, Paul's saying, if you can take all the sufferings of this world, and if anybody know, knew anything about suffering, is Paul. Think about what he went through. He goes, I can take all the sufferings of this world, put it on a scale, and yet I can take all the glory that is going to be revealed in that day, and I put it on the other side of the scale, it's going to tip in favor of that glory every time. So what Paul is saying now is that you put all the blessings that we have from chapters 1 to 3, you put them on the scale now, and then you move yourself over the other side of the scale, and you go, is there balance? Is there some balance happening now is what Paul is getting at. Is your life being lived in a manner that's kind of living up to all that great blessing we have? Not to say that we can ever, out, we can never outdo God and his grace, but we do seek to live a life that's in balance with what he's given us. That's walking worthy of your calling. Our calling and our conduct should be in balance. That's what's meant to walk worthy. And we're to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So the question is, what is our calling? What's our calling? Now we can agonize over that. We, we look at calling. We look at the will of God. And we can struggle and, and agonize over what's the the calling, what's the will of God for my life? And we can wrestle over, you know, uh, do I take this job or do I take that job? Do I live here? Do I live there? Do I, you know, attend that school or this school? Do I study that? And we can agonize over all these things so much to, to the point where I've seen people agonizing over, you know, the will of God for what shirt to wear today. Do I wear the red one, the blue one? Lord, this is, I don't want to blow it here, Lord. What is your will for me today? To what shirt to wear? I'm just like, oh my goodness. Um, the pink one, yeah, you just blend them together. There you go. And so we struggle over these things, don't we? We, we, we wrestle with that. But can I just say, I, I, I believe that God is not, not so much concerned with what you do as so much as who you are. In other words, if you want to take that job or you take that job, then whatever job you're in, live the fullest to the glory of God there. Whatever shirt you're wearing, <laughs> wear it to the glory of God, right? You know, that's the idea. It's like he's more concerned with who you are. 
And we're going to see that as, we're, as we move through this text here, that, that this is what Paul is really getting at. He's looking at the, the attitudes that we're to carry out. Now, there is a specific calling that Paul is addressing here in our text here because the specific calling is one that we've all had as believers. And that calling is that God has called us all together as one body, making up the church, the bride of Christ. He's called us, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 15, to be one new man. That's ultimately a specific calling that Paul is kind of honing in on here now. That we together enjoy this relationship with God through Christ and with one another. And that we operate as one group, a unified body of Christ. And yet, do you know how often we've kind of blown that? We've contradicted that throughout church history where, you know, we've had divisions and backbiting and fighting and all the likes like that. We've sometimes done a very lousy job of living up to that calling where we are one in Christ. So verse 1 here has given us you know, the, the what of our, our calling ultimately. We often know the what in situations, the what we're to do. It comes very easy for us. But the how, how do we do that? It become another thing altogether. So Paul now moves us on to look at the how to walk worthy of the calling by which you're called. And he lays out some specific things. Look at verse 2. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So these verses now, they, they list some great qualities or characteristics of what this unity looks like, this unity by which we've been called to. That's his calling here. So first of all, lowliness. Lowliness, that's a, a much-needed quality in life for the believer. Lowliness is having your mind brought low lowliness it's not thinking too highly of yourself it's it's walking in humility now that idea was a very negative one in paul's day in that day people saw an element of pride as a virtue i think we kind of come full circle in our day where i think a lot of people still go yeah i i i, I see it that way but paul in telling his readers to walk in all lowliness was completely turning around just the common notion of his day, right? And, and how people were to conduct themselves. That's why Christianity was such a revolutionary thing. So it all started with Jesus, the example of Jesus. Now we, we see hints of, you know, humility. Obviously we see people of humble character in the Old Testament. Moses himself, you know, referred to himself as the most humble man, but he wrote that, so I don't know if that disqualifies it. But Matthew eleven twenty nine, we see this, autobiographical statement of Jesus where he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and what? Lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus exemplified this attitude of humility. And then next Paul moves on to talk about gentleness. Now gentleness has been oftentimes described as meekness. It might be translated in certain uh, Bible translations as meekness. But against a character that was attributed to Jesus' autobiographical statement where he said that he was gentle and lowly in heart. Now, gentleness, you know, is not being a, a pushover. We think of meekness oftentimes as weakness. And yet that's not the case, at least 
biblically defining this word. See, gentleness or meekness is having your emotions in check. It's strength under control. It's the opposite of being rude or harsh or flipping out. Jesus, being gentle and meek, still came into the temple when he saw all the corrupt business going on. Now, Jesus could have reacted one of two ways. He could have said, what is going on? And he just starts, like, kicking down things and just, you know, shaking things up, throwing people down on the ground. He probably would have had a, a, a justified feeling in doing so. But Jesus didn't do that, although... He came in very authoritatively. What did Jesus do? Well, it says he comes in, he, he bends down, he starts picking up strands of cord to, to make a whip. He didn't react. No, he was meek, he was gentle, but he responded authoritatively still, but emotions under control. He put down, picked up these things, made a whip, and he started to drive people out, overturning the money tables. But strength under control. It wasn't an overaction based on emotion, as oftentimes happens for us. But when you're gentle and meek, there's, there's control. You're not overreacting based on emotions. And then Paul says, with all lowliness, gentleness, and long-suffering. With long-suffering. Now, this is a word that we oftentimes don't like or prefer. We think of long-suffering as suffer long, and we're like, uh-uh, not for me. I don't like that one. Skip on. Move on to the next part here, right? We want to move on from that. But, but long-suffering speaks of a patience that doesn't surrender to circumstances or trials. You, you may be going through a difficult time, but you persist without wavering. You're, you're long-suffering. You're able to bear it, you see. In the same way, perhaps somebody may be coming alongside you that is adding to frustration or rubbing you the wrong way that can be very irritating. But long-suffering is the quality that keeps you from reaching out with, you know, your hands like around the neck, right? You don't do that. You go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear this. I'm long-suffering. I'm not going to, again, react. I'm going to bear this up. It's having a slowness in avenging wrongs. You're long-suffering. And then Bearing with one another in love. There are times where we will need to put up with one another in the body, in the body of Christ. There's times we just need to bear with one another. Do you know how often I have to put up with different personalities or attitudes or weird traits in others? But I do so in love. I bear with another. And do you know what helps me do that? Knowing that you have to bear with me. And I'm no picnic. And you're no picnic. But together we go, we just bear with one another. I'm no better than you. I bear with you because I know you got to bear with me. We bear with one another in love. Love is a defining character that keeps unity. See, this was a new way of describing Christian love, this Greek word agape. It, it meant that nothing a person does will sway us from seeking his highest good. This agape love that Paul speaks of is a love that was so... Uh, you know, again, revolutionary that you're loving unconditionally regardless of what you're getting back from that person, regardless of what that person's doing, you're going to walk in love. You're going to bear with one another in love. The New Living Translation says, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So it means that the inevitable wrongs that occur between people in God's family will not work against God's purpose of bringing together all things in Jesus. 
That's illustrated through us, his church, his work in the church. And here's the purpose of walking worthy of the calling and walking in lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The purpose is to keep, verse 3, keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That, my friends, is the program of God right there. That's what he did in bringing Jews and Gentiles together. We saw that clearly in chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. We see it through chapters 2 and 3. And that was the most divided group. If everything, you know, this ain't going to work. You would think, bring the Jews and Gentiles together, that is a recipe for disaster. And yet, in and through Christ, God brings these, these conflicting groups together as one to where they begin to walk in unity. They begin to love upon one another. People are going, how does that happen? It happens through Jesus, through his work. In unifying these two that were so opposed to one another. And if he did it with them, then surely he can do it with his church today. Though we come from different backgrounds and we got different personalities, different attitudes. If he did it with the Jews and Gentiles, he can do it with us. And we come together as the church in a unifying effort that honors the Lord that causes us to begin to walk worthy of that calling by which we were called. And this unity is not something we create. It's something that's been entrusted to us as this new man. And what are we asked to do? Endeavor to keep this unity. Keep it. You don't manufacture it. You don't, you don't create it. It's entrusted to you. You keep it. And this unity is the unity of the Spirit. Not of an organization. That means if we're of different churches, different denominations, yet we're of the same spirit, there's to be unity here. See, we, we don't have to all be doing the same thing. I'm, I've been so thankful this week, and this has been a, a week like no other. And I've been so thankful for uh, pastors and churches that have, have reached out and, and just simply said, you know what? We're, we're standing with you. We're behind you. We're praying for you. And, and they might not be doing the same thing we're doing. But my message has been, that's okay. We don't all have to do the same thing. Paul's going to talk about this, this diversity within the body of Christ. And, and unity does not mean conformity. There's diversity. So then the body of Christ, man, there's people doing different things within churches today. There's churches doing different things, and that's okay. We're all part of the body. Right now, we happen to be the armpit uh, of the body. <laughs> And we'll, we'll get through that. But we'll figure things out. But you see, but the truth of, of the matter is this, guys, is that I'm not, I'm not looking at the church to say, you got to do this. You got to do what we're doing. You got to agree with us. You gotta, no, I'm saying you be led of the Lord. And however God is using you to glorify him, so be it. There are churches that are doing great things that we're not doing. I'm thankful that they're doing it. Because God needs the body of Christ on a wide scale level to be reaching out to all the needs around us. And not everybody has to do the same thing. So let's continue to pray for one another. Let's continue to pray for churches all over. As long as we are having the one thing in, in, in common, and that is upholding God's word. And that we're seeking to, to glorify Jesus and, and lead people to the truth of the gospel uh, of, of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. That's the key right there. Otherwise, we don't need to divide.
Love what Paul says here, Romans 12, verse 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. And here's just a great quote. I think we need to take to heart in essentials, unity. In doubtful questions, liberty. But in all things, charity. And that's what we desire. So let's, let's pray for that. And, and as I said, the, the goal here is to just see people come to know Jesus. And if you're watching online, maybe you'll be watching at a later time, or maybe you're in this room right now, and, and maybe you don't know where you stand with the Lord. Um, I want to just give you some good news here today. Before we give you the good news, you have to hear the bad news. The bad news is, is that, well, first of all, God created us all to be in a relationship with him, but sin came into the world. And it messed it up. It separated us from God. And we've all, because of that, inherited a, a sin nature. We're all sinners. We don't, we don't sin because we're sinners. We, or sorry, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And so we're separated from God. But God did something for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come as one of us and to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so when Jesus died on a cross, it was like a, a transaction was taking place. He was paying the penalty for our sin and, and taking the, the, that, that penalty and price for us so we could be forgiven, cleansed, and come into a right standing with God now through Jesus. We now, by faith in Jesus, are clothed in his righteousness. Jesus died. He rose again to secure life for you. And the Bible says that, we become new creations in him by faith in him. Old things pass away, build all things that become new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Then I pray that you know and realize that today. What does it take to become a new creation, to become a child of God? It takes you simply putting your trust in the work Jesus did for you. Not your work, not your goodness. Your goodness will never live up to God's standard. That's why he sent his perfect son, Jesus to do the work for you. And all you have to do is put your trust in him. It's by grace you are saved through faith. That's that idea. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I ask today, would you turn to him? Would you understand your need for him? Confess your sin and put your trust in him. Let him come and be your Lord and your Savior. And by doing so, you become a child of God and you're given eternal life now. Not just life now, but eternal life. There's nothing better than that, my friends. So I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've looked at here this morning, for your word, and, and we do pray that you'll just continue to unite your church together. Lord, there's differences of opinions, but we just ask, God, that every church will do what they're called to do, and that you would just use it for your glory, to see your work and your purposes prevail. That's what we desire. So lead us on. We thank you, God, for this opportunity just to come and worship you and learn of you and to do so together and just lead us now we ask in your name amen let's stand together